Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Open it up to Matthew chapter 24, and you can hold your place there, Matthew chapter 24. That's the first book in the New Testament. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we've got a Bible in the pew rack in front of you now. We put our Bibles back out. Uh, you might need some magnifiers, though, I'll be honest. And up front, the print is kind of small. But uh, you got uh, Matthew 24, and then you could just kind of hold your place there. And then we're going to hold our Bibles up or our phones, our Bible apps, and we're going to do our Bible declaration today. When you're ready, let's hold them up. We'll hold them up. Check the Bible attendance with us today. You ready? Come on, let's read it together. This is my Bible. It is God's Word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Christian leader R.T. Kendall was quoted saying this, If we have the Word without the Spirit, we will dry up. If we have the Spirit without the Word, we will blow up. But if we have the Word and the Spirit together we will grow up. Come on, somebody say grow up. How many know that's the goal? Right? Notice, he says, if we have the Word, the Scriptures, the Bible, that's what he means when he says the Word, without the Holy Spirit, I like to liken the Holy Spirit as the oil of heaven, the spiritual oil, right? Anointing oil in the Bible is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So if we have the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word, without the Spirit, the oil of heaven, we'll dry up. We'll just be these dry, harsh, maybe condemning people, religious, right? That's not God's heart. On the other hand, if we have the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Spirit of God. You know, we're, we're pressing into the things of the Spirit, whether that's being led by the Spirit or praying in the Spirit or operating in the gifts of the Spirit or we've got dreams and visions and words from the Lord, all of those spirituals, right? Those are part of our walk with God. But if we just have the Spirit without the Word, like this is the tracks, for the power and the caboose, right? Without the tracks, that's a problem, right? So we need the Word, but if we have the Spirit without the Word, we'll blow up, right? We might get off track. We might get deceived. We might get duped. We might get in the flesh. We, we might get a little too unbalanced, right? This is, this is what he's trying to get across to us. But then I love this. But if we have the Word and the Spirit together, somebody say together, Right? Together, both, right? If we have the Word and the Spirit together, notice, 
we'll grow up. What does that mean? We'll be grounded in the Word, but we'll also be functioning in the oil of the Holy Spirit, right? That's God's heart. You know, there's a scripture in Proverbs. This is what it says. I'm paraphrasing. He says, God doesn't like dishonest scales. He, he, he wants just scales. Scales in the Old Testament, particularly in the Bible days, they were used to weigh out money and goods and services. And there were people that were dishonest. By the way, that hasn't stopped, right? We still got some people today that are dishonest. And God doesn't want people that are in business to have the scales tipped towards their benefit, being dishonest with consumers, right? He wants balanced scales in consumerism, but that's just in that context. If you take it broadly, you can apply it to this. God really wants people to live balanced lives. Amen, right? He doesn't want us to be overly emphasized in one area to the extreme that we're now under-emphasizing this other area to our own hurt. God wants us to live balanced lives. And I really believe this is kind of what R.T. Kendall's capturing when he makes this powerful, powerful statement. We need both. We need God's Word and we need God's Spirit. They're so powerful. That is the ultimate dynamic duo for our lives, right? I came across a video that I want to set up and I want to share it with you. I want to set you up. It's six minutes long. So don't you dare fall asleep. Because this is a powerful video, it's, 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 it's a little uh, thought-provoking. You have to listen to the words. And while you're listening to the words, I want you to watch the different scenes of men and women that are reading their Bibles and leaning in and listening to God. Because the truths that Derek Prince is speaking in this short video are applicable for today, and they're timeless truths. If we can begin to understand the power that's available to us and comes into us when we engage in God's Word with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that is the author of the Word. So I want us to watch this video for six minutes. I want you to listen to it with ears to hear. Listen to the words. Watch the pictures. Allow yourself to, to, to just soak in what's being said and then I'm going to come back up and we're going to finish our message. Okay? Let's watch the video. What we'll do for you. First of all, I'd like to give you some general statements about the Scripture. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now, where we have the word breath, the Hebrew word actually is spirit because the picture is God's Spirit coming with His Word. As He spoke His Word, His Spirit came with it. Just as when I speak a word, my breath goes with the Word. And that tells us how the whole created universe came into being. It's not complicated. It came about by the Word of the Lord and the Spirit of His mouth. These are the two agents of God in all creation. You read the record of creation in Genesis, you'll see how exactly that agrees. So this is a staggering thought, but I want to impress it upon you. When you are reading your Bible and absorbing it and letting it do its work in you, 
all the creative power of Almighty God is at work in you. Because God used nothing but his word and his spirit to create the universe. And the same word, the same spirit, are available to us when we read the Bible. So never set limits to what the Bible can do in your life. Go out, look at the stars, look at the sun, look at the oceans, look at the mountains. The tremendous creative power of God demonstrate. And then say to yourself, then the same agents that created all those things are working in me when I read my Bible. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, which was a young church that had recently been formed. And he's remembering how powerful the impact of his ministry had been there. And he thanks God for those Christians. And this is what he says to them. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. So Paul emphasizes, this is not the product of human wisdom. This is the word of God. This is God speaking to us. But it won't fully do its work in us until we receive it with faith. It effectively works in those who believe. Unbelief can shut out the effect of God's word. But if we open our hearts in faith, if we believe it, it works effectively. And what I'm going to be doing this evening is describing to you some of the effects that God's word will produce in you if you receive it with faith. And then in the epistle to the Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews has certain things to say also. First of all, he speaks about God's people Israel in the Old Testament and uh, how they were brought out of Egypt supernaturally by mighty signs and wonders but through unbelief they never entered the land that God had promised to them and the writer of Hebrews comments on this in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 and he says of Israel for indeed the gospel or the good news was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So they heard the word of God, but it didn't do in them what God intended it should do. It didn't bring the results and the blessings because it was not mixed with faith. It's only when we mix it with faith that it does in us what it, God intends. But I'll be telling you briefly in a little while, if you don't have faith, you can get it. So don't despair. If you are here this evening and say, well, I'd love to be able to receive God's word with faith, but I don't know if I really have faith. One of the marvelous things about God's Word is it creates faith. One more thing in general about the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4 
and verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Tremendous list of facts about the word of God. It's living, it's not dead. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, or in modern language, it's sharper than any doctor's scalpel. It can penetrate where no scalpel can penetrate. It can separate the joints from the marrow. It's sharper than any uh, psychiatrist's probing. It can separate the things that are closest inside us, the spirit and the soul. And then the writer says, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Uh, I remember hearing somebody say this, remember that while you're reading your Bible, your Bible is also reading you. Remember while you're reading your Bible, your Bible is also reading you. If there was one thing that I would share with someone who, who came to me and they said, Pastor Robert, how do I grow in my relationship with God so that He can transform me and help me to become everything He wants me to be and so that I can experience His will for my life and so that I can live in victory and I can end up going to heaven having fulfilled the plan and the purpose and, and, and the things that God had for me and my family here. If there's just one thing out of all of the things that could be taught to an individual, if there's one thing, I would teach them how to read their Bible and hear God speak to them through the Scriptures. Because if you can learn to do that, the Holy Spirit will help you and lead you and guide you and grow you to walk with God and fulfill everything that He has for you. But on the other hand, I want you to know if there's one thing that the devil would work overtime to keep you from doing, to somehow deceive you in thinking that you can live your life and be somewhat successful in all of these different areas and push back the Word and not engage that and just try to live a Christian life without that. If there's one thing the devil will work overtime to get you to push back on and to forego, it's the one thing that you need the most. And that's to learn to read your Bible and to invest time with God. That's the one thing. How many of you believe that? Right? That's why it's so difficult at times to do it. That's why we can, a week can go by and where did it go? Did you invest any time with God reading the Word? No, I got busy. I did this. I did that. And there's all kinds of wonderful things in life that God wants you to do. But if the devil can just get us to push back on that, whether we realize it or not, he's got the victory. So I just wanted to show that to you to remind us about the power of the Word and the Spirit that goes to work in your life and in my life when we're reading the Scriptures. Amen? We've been talking about living an empowered life. Understanding the importance of the person and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. We've taken extensive time to talk four weeks about the person of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said he's a person. He's not just a power. He's not just an entity. He's a person, and he wants to walk with you. He wants to guide you. He wants to teach you. He wants to lead you. And last week, we started talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And we discovered three simple truths about the Holy Spirit power. Number one, the power of the Holy Spirit is essential. Number two, the Holy Spirit regulates His power so we don't have to be afraid of Him. And number three, spiritual power must be activated or received and acted upon by faith and by an act of my own will. And if you missed that, you can grab the podcast or you can go to Lakeshore Gastonia's Facebook page and you can catch that. If you're taking notes today or you're following along in your study guide, today's title is Three Spiritual Power Gauges. Three Spiritual Power Gauges. And here's the subtitle, Avoiding the Danger of Deception. You know what a gauge is, right? A gauge helps you to monitor something. It helps you to assess or determine whether or not something's accurate or not. So there are power gauges that we can look to when it comes to the things of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to look at those today because if we can learn to read these gauges, they'll help us, they'll help you and I as a church and as individuals avoid the deception that the enemy would try to use to get us off track. Now in Matthew 24, I asked you to turn there. We have a record of Jesus speaking about the signs of the times and ultimately the end of the age before he comes back for his church. He talks about social and political upheavals. He talks about natural calamities, disloyalty. He talks about some people's faith growing cold and turning away from him. He talks about persecution and the fact that there will be religious imposters trying to deceive uh, even God's people, hoping to cause them to lose their way. That's what he talks about in Matthew 24. And I just want to look at a couple of verses to set up this message. I can't read it all. For time's sake, you can go home and read that on your own. But in Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5, and 23 to 25, this is what the Bible says. And Jesus answered his disciples and said to them, Take heed or pay attention that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Remember, Christ is in his last name. Christ is his title, the Messiah, the empowered one, the anointed one. I am the Christ. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. By the way, Just do a Google search. There's been a lot of people that have already fulfilled that prophecy. There's a lot of people that have lost all of their marbles, and they believe that they are the Christ. And they have led millions of people astray already. Okay? He goes on and he says this. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, don't believe it. Verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets... People saying they're speaking for God will rise, notice this, and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect, those are God's people. Those are the ones that are following Jesus. If possible, Jesus' followers. Verse 25, and he says, see, I've told you beforehand. Let me, let me just emphasize verse 24. He says, 
For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. Why? To deceive. To deceive. Here's a thought. One of the most effective ways to recognize a counterfeit is to become completely and intimately familiar with the real thing. Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? See, followers of Jesus who know Jesus and are being well taught and are grounded in the Scriptures will not be deceived. But followers of Jesus who don't really know Jesus and they're not being taught the Scriptures and they're not grounded in the Scriptures, well, the possibility of deception for them increases. And Jesus doesn't want us to be deceived. This word deceive, I think you know what it means, but let me just clarify it for us. It means to lead astray or to cause one to wander from the right way. That's what deceive means. He says that there'll be people that rise up with great signs in order to deceive. The word signs specifically refers to supernatural miracles that seem to come from divine authority. Signs. And the word wonders. He wants to use signs and wonders to deceive. The word wonders, something strange or out of the ordinary, causing people or the one looking to marvel. Wow! That's amazing. How did that happen? That's supernatural. That's impossible. That has to be God. Notice, people will rise as we move closer and closer to the Lord's return. And false prophets will rise and they'll use signs and wonders. And we might say that's the Holy Spirit of God. But we have to test everything. We have to be sure that that's the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Scripture's chock full of Bible verses that talk about the fact that the devil has power and he'll use signs and wonders to deceive God's people. In the book of Exodus, when Moses comes into the scene, he throws down his rod and it became a serpent. Do you remember that? But then it says that there were some magicians and some sorcerers that were in the court of Pharaoh and he called them over. And they turned some of their staffs and their rods into scorpions and into serpents. And Moses' true serpent ate them up. What does that mean? That means, you know, the occult, black magic, divine power from the enemy... That's real, right? And God doesn't want us to be deceived just because somebody's performing a sign or a wonder. As a matter of fact, it's not up there, but this is what it says in 1 John 4. Listen, 1 John 4, 1. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have come out into the world. So we just can't believe everything that we see, right? So... What are these gauges? Pastor Robert, uh, uh, doesn't the Bible say that signs and wonders are part of the lives of people empowered by the Holy Spirit? I mean, doesn't the Bible talk about it? It does, yes. As a matter of fact, watch this. Mark 16, 17, and 18. Jesus is speaking. This is what he says. And these signs will follow those who believe. Here's the signs. You ready? In my name, they will cast out demons. 
They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. Now, there's a lot in there. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go through every, every sign and everything that Jesus is saying. The point that I'm trying to make is that signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit are all over the Bible, especially when you read the book of Acts. Um, one of the men who was a deacon, we can call him a deacon, his name was Philip. I believe his name was Philip. The Bible says that he was full of power and truth, and he did many signs and wonders among the people. That's in Acts. So God's people should be marked with this power that on some occasions comes with signs and wonders. And I believe that God wants that to be something that His church is taking part of. But at the same time, He wants us to understand that we need to test every spirit and not be fooled and not be deceived. Um, a life marked by signs and wonders under the power of the Holy Spirit all over the Bible, obviously starting with Jesus. And then we read that about the apostles in the book of Acts. So I want us to understand that signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Spirit, they're scriptural. They're part of the Bible. However, that being said, while God uses signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit as one way to confirm His presence and His Word, by themselves, supernatural signs can also be used by the enemy to deceive people and to deceive God's people. So here's the question. How do we confidently open our lives to the power of the Holy Spirit while safeguarding ourselves from being deceived by counterfeit power from the enemy? That's what I want to look at for the rest of our time. Real quick, three God-given spiritual gauges. Three God-given spiritual gauges. Here's the first gauge, number one. The gauge of God's written word. Come on, say it with me. The gauge of God's written word. Some familiar portions of Scripture, but they're worth uh, regrounding ourselves in them. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and he's encouraging him. He's reminding him that from a baby boy, he had been taught the Scriptures, and the Scriptures bring wisdom for salvation. And then he makes this incredible statement, all Scripture, all Scripture. He was primarily talking about the Old Testament back then because they didn't have the whole Bible like we do now. But we could fast forward in today and we could say, all Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Say inspiration of God. Come on, inspiration of God. This phrase, given by inspiration of God, is really one word. One word in the Greek. Theonustos. I think that's how you pronounce it. Theonustos. And it comes from two smaller words. Theos, T-H-E-O-S. That's the Greek word for God. God, theos. And the second word, nuo, P-N-E-U. That's a word for to breathe. We could say though, it also is meaning wind, breath, or spirit. We could say the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So when you say by inspiration of God or Theonustos, this literally is saying that all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. 
given by inspiration of God, literally portrays God breathing His very own essence into the Scriptures. Everything that's written, what God wanted to be written, is here in the Scriptures. And Paul's telling us that the written Word of God, not the ink on the page, but the message that it communicates, actually contains within itself the essence, the life, the breath of God Himself. Think about that. Every time you make a decision to read the Scriptures, you're bringing in the breath of God. What's going to help you in your life? The breath of God. What's going to give you a breakthrough? The breath of God. What's going to get you over depression? Over discouragement? Over being sad? Over being under the enemy's oppression? What's going to get you to the next level in life in your relationship with God? The breath of God from the Scriptures. Think of it. You have the opportunity every day to... Pull in the breath of God from the Scriptures, renewing your mind, transforming your outlook, empowering you to be the best man that you need to be, to be the best dad, to be the best grandpa, to be the best mom, to be the best aunt. Whatever, God's Word will give you that power, but you got to bring it in. I can't do it for you. It's got to be your own decision. Why is that such a big deal? Because it says it's profitable. You know what profitable means? It references something that is helpful, beneficial, or useful to your advantage. Profitable for what? It lists for teaching. How many of you need to be taught more about how to get to know God more? Huh? That would be me, right? It will teach you or to help you to know God better. Second thing it's profitable for. Watch this. Reproof or rebuke. What does that mean? This is exposing our sin or pointing out our sin or pointing out where we're off track. It's profitable for that. You know, sometimes you need God to show you, hey, 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 you're off track or that's not good for you. That's not good for our relationship. Let's be honest. Most of your friends aren't going to tell you that. They're not. They're not going to tell me. I mean, everybody just wants to mind their own business. But listen, when you're reading the Scriptures and you're with the Holy Spirit, He's going to point things out in my life that I need to get aware of because He loves me. He goes on and says it's profitable for correction. Thank God He doesn't just point it out and leave us there. Amen. Correction means He points out the sin and then He offers a solution to it. Amen. And then he says it's profitable for training in righteousness. And that's similar to teaching, but training is more focused on the practical application. Right? We're not supposed to just hear what God's Word says. We're supposed to learn how to practically apply it to our life. So the Scriptures will train us on how to apply the Scriptures to our everyday life. From the Scripture, the written Word of God, we learn what is true, we learn what is wrong, and how to correct the wrong, and how to apply truth. Amen? It's so important that we recognize that if we want to be kept from deception, one of the very first gauges that God gives us is the gauge of the written Word of God. Jesus said in John 17, 17, your Word is truth. He was talking to the Father. Your Word, what you say, God, in your Scriptures is truth. Why is this all important? Because God's Word authenticates God and God's heart for you. It authenticates God. We can't know God. We can't know God's heart. We can't know what He has for us apart from His written Word. It's so important. 
Number two, if you're taking notes, the second gauge to help us to avoid deception. Ready? It's the gauge of the Holy Spirit. Say it with me, church. Come on. The gauge of the Holy Spirit. There's so many rich, rich Bible verses about the Holy Spirit. So to pull one out is kind of difficult. But I think this is a good one, okay? Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Now let me just clarify this if you're a female. God has female sons and He has male sons. This isn't biology. This is spirituality. For as many as are led... By the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, these are sons of God. The word led, the term comes from the Greek word ago, A-G-O, ago, which foundationally paints a picture of someone being guided and someone being encouraged along a pathway. For as many as are led, guided, encouraged along a pathway by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. It's your... It's your inheritance to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, I want you to see this too. The word ago in the Greek, or led, it's also the root word for agon, A-G-O-N. And this is where we get the word agony. And this is reminding us that determining to follow the Holy Spirit's lead often creates an intense internal conflict, a wrestling with our self-centered old fleshly self that prefers its own way. So there's this agony that comes with being led by the Spirit because sometimes being led by the Spirit, following His lead, following His guidance, sometimes that's agony for me because I want to do my own thing. I want to go my own way. I want to show you something else. The use of the word ago here is a present tense word which indicates that Following the Holy Spirit is not a one-time decision to obey, but a a one-step-at-a-time ongoing journey from salvation through maturity in Christ to obey. When it says, for as many as are led, this is not talking about future tense. It's not talking about past tense. It's talking about right now, right here. For as many as are ongoingly, daily, repeatedly being led by the Spirit. Right? It's not a one-time decision. It's supposed to be this ongoing decision. This is all important. This journey to maturity can be seen by Paul's conclusion of this statement. Notice what he says. People that are being led are sons of God. Say sons. Now in the Greek, I found at least two words for sons. One of them, I think it's tekton. I'd have to double check. But this one is not that. This is a different Greek word. It's pronounced, it's, it's kind of tough to pronounce, H-U-I-O-S, huias. It's pronounced huias. H-U-I-O-S. But it's important. Listen. This Greek word for sons, huias, refers to a son or a daughter who is growing, maturing, and developing the character traits that resemble his or her father that will afford him or her the increasing access and privileges appropriate to his development in the family. So this isn't just talking about every child of God. Everyone who's born again is a child of God. This is talking about a son or a daughter who's maturing and becoming more and more like his father. 
who's becoming more and more a semblance or a resemblance to his heavenly father. He's growing in morality. He's growing in Christian character. They're becoming more and more like daddy. And as we're growing and maturing as sons, female sons and male sons in the kingdom of God, this will give us increasing access to the privileges appropriate to our development within the family. This is important. If you want to access more of the things that God has for you, if I want to access more of the things that God has for me, I will have to learn to be increasingly led by the Holy Spirit. And when we say led, this isn't just, He's going to lead me from California to the Carolinas to fulfill the ministry call that He has in my life. It's part of that, but that's not all of it. When you read this in its context, it's talking about being led out of sin and more and more into the likeness of your Heavenly Father. Being led into following the things that God would have you to do and be and become as one who's following the Holy Spirit. This is important because that is a gauge. The Holy Spirit is a gauge in your life that will help you and I from being deceived by signs and wonders or anything that seems to be spiritual. And so we have to learn to grow in the gauge of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit authenticates God's hand on you and on anyone else. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit authenticates, seal of approval, His hand on you and anyone else. So we want to be growing in our following the Holy Spirit. Here's the third gauge. So gauge number one to to keep ourselves from being deceived. Anybody know it? Gauge number one. The gauge of God's written word. So here's a question I would ask myself. Am I investing time in reading God's Word. Because if you are, you're moving in that gauge. If you're not, you're not. Number two, the second gauge. You know it? The gauge of the Holy Spirit. Are you learning to be led by Him? Are you willing to go through the agony to follow Him instead of yourself? Because this is a gauge that will help us to authenticate God's hand on us. Here's the third and final gauge I want to give us to help us to keep from being deceived. The gauge of being changed into Christ's image. The gauge of being changed into Christ's image. Now, let me set this up. I think it's important that we re-emphasize re, uh, that when you and I receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, there's an instantaneous change that takes place. The Bible says you're a new creation. The Bible says that you pass from being spiritually dead and darkness to being spiritually alive and right and forgiven into the kingdom of light just by you becoming a Christian. That's a fact. That's a supernatural change. But then there's this other ongoing change that he wants us to be experiencing. This is a lifelong process of change. And we see a picture of it in 2 Corinthians 3.18. One of my favorite verses. It's so powerful. It says, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see... And reflect the glory of the Lord. Let me pause. He's talking about uh, something that was between us and God. In the Old Testament, it was referring to the Holy of Holies. The priest went in there and there was a veil that separated him from the most holy place. God's presence. He had to go through the veil. And when he had to go through the veil, he had to go with blood. Because it was the blood that atoned for his sin. 
and for the people's sin. And because of the blood, he was able to come in contact with God. That was a veil. And everyone who's outside of a relationship with Jesus, we still have this veil between our hearts, between our spirits, between us and God. And the only way to get past that veil so that we can have a relationship with God and see him is the same. It's the blood. Come on, somebody say, thank God for the blood. Because of the blood of Jesus, when we receive his blood, now the veil has been removed. That's what he's talking about here. And now we can see, not physically, but spiritually. We can see. We can see the Lord. We can see his magnificence. We can see his splendor. We can see his awesomeness, his beauty, his glory, his radiance, his light. All of those words are synonymous to this word glory. We can see that. One of the best ways to see that is when you read your Bible. You can see that. And now the back half of the verse, he says this, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. This is a relief to me. You know, you don't have to try to change yourself. I'm not saying there isn't any effort on my part. I'm just saying I don't have the capability to change myself. As I look into the Lord, as I get to know the Lord, as I come face to face with the Lord, as I'm worshiping the Lord and serving the Lord, there's this miraculous change that the Holy Spirit takes me through, causing me, causing you supernaturally to become more and more like the one we're beholding. That's the Lord. So if there's an area of your life where you might be stuck or you say, Pastor Robert, I need to change. I've got this habit. I've got this addiction. I've got this mindset. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I don't have any hope. As you get to know the Lord and you invest time with Him and you begin to see Him in the Scriptures and you're praying and you're talking to God and even if that means you're letting out your frustrations at times, that's, that's real. But as you're doing this, I don't know how to say it other than there's this supernatural change that begins to take place, causing you to become more and more like Jesus. And those things that you were struggling with, they, they, they lose their grip on you. This word changed in the NLT is the, is the word transformed in the new King James. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's the new King James. This word changed or transformed, it's the Greek word metamorpho. Metamorpho. We get our English word metamorphosis from this Greek word. You know what a caterpillar does, right? A caterpillar has a metamorphosis. It goes from this little crawly, squishy bug with all these little pricklies on it, and it gets in that cocoon, and somehow supernaturally God's work it out. So after a certain amount of time, it's transformed, metamorphosis, into a beautiful butterfly. Transformed. And, and that's how God sees you as his child. 
He sees you going through this metamorphosis, through this transformation. And the more you look into the beauty of Jesus, the more and more the Holy Spirit transforms me and transforms you. So, Pastor Robert, how do I put all this together? Because the title of your message was Three God-Given Spiritual Gauges, subtitle, subtitle, Avoiding the Danger of Deception. Okay, so here's how we put it all together. You ready? If a believer is willing to establish God's Word in their heart, that's gauge number one. Be led by the Holy Spirit into areas where they need to be transformed. Be led by the Holy Spirit into areas where they need to be transformed. That's gauge number two. It will result in their life progressively being supernaturally changed to reflect the life of Jesus. That's gauge number three. Protecting the believer from being deceived. Amen. How many of y'all want to be protected from deception? Right? I do. I do. Come on, would you stand to your feet with me? Let's sing a couple of more songs to God before we leave. We'll end our service with some worship. Allow this message, if you would, to just kind of penetrate your heart, to become real to you, to cause it to strengthen you and encourage you. Um, don't be distracted by anything. Let's engage in these words, in these lyrics, in these powerful spiritual songs that we're going to sing uh, to the Lord. The Bible says that when we lift up our praise to God, He gives us this garment of praise and He lifts a spirit of heaviness. Something happens when we worship God. So let's go ahead and worship God for a couple of more songs and then we'll close our service today. Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are on this child, you're forgiven, grace abounds. Oh, Lord, you're
eyes of my heart I want to see you Oh, I want to see you Let's declare that now Open the eyes of my heart, Lord Oh, open the eyes of my heart Holy, 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 holy. Oh. 
And Father, that's our heart today. As we focus our attention on you, as we focus our heart on you, we would see you in your holiness. We would see you in your beauty. We would see you as God. And Father, I pray that we would become reflectors of your beauty, of your holiness, of your light, especially in a dark world in that we live in today, Lord God. Shine in us, shine on us, and shine through us. We love you and we honor you, God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.